Well, as you remain standing, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that your will would be done in this place. We pray that by your Spirit, it would be your will to open our hearts to you, that you would open our ears to hear you and our eyes to see you, that we might love and serve Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? At the close of our Epiphany series in the book of Acts, we read of Peter and John's reaction to the events that they have just lived through. For this first time in her short history, the church has faced persecution. The leaders of the church have been told that they must be silent about Jesus or face the consequences. Another night in prison for them or something far worse. They must be silent about this one whom they believe has changed the world. They must be silent about what they hold most dear. It's an instructive moment for us to look at as the church of Jesus Christ in our time. And to be sure, we here at St. Aidan's do not face the same sort of persecution as Peter and John did, or as countless of our brothers and sisters do around the world today. That being said, one of the telling marks of a faithful church is how it responds to challenge. What does the church do when facing persecution or difficulty of any kind? Now, from the more vocal examples out there, we could assume that the faithful response is for the church to simply be louder, to constantly take stands on every issue that pops up. Or perhaps the opposite is true, that we should simply keep silent Listen to the warnings of cultural leaders and keep our beliefs to ourselves because it's an individual thing. Out of fear of being an outcast, we stay quiet. At times, all of those different reactions might seem like the faithful Christian response to times of challenge. And certainly there are times to speak and times to be silent. Times to move and act, and times to be still. I don't mind confessing that I am one that needs to hear that there are times to be still. That is not my natural instinct in a challenge, or really ever. What I love about this portion of Acts 4 is that it leaves us with a picture of what the church is to do before it does anything else. Before it decides how to speak or act or to refrain from speaking or acting, the church is first to do what the church does best. To seek our Lord together in prayer and his word. To be empowered by God to make faithful decisions. 
We could summarize this portion of Acts that we read this morning with the title, The Church That Prays Together Stays Together. But it's so much more than that. Because the purpose of the church is not simply to stay together. That's not a faithful goal. We are called to work together, to play our part in building the kingdom of God where God has placed us. And friends, you know all too well that we have had and will have times of challenge and times of decision. As a church, we have some decisions to make in just the next few weeks and months. And when faced with those times of decision, the church must come together. What happens when the church comes together? Well, when we look at Acts 4, we see that in coming together, the church is able to gain focus, perspective. How easy it might have been for Peter and John to return from being arrested and threatened by the religious elites of their time and wonder if it's all worth it. Perhaps they should leave behind this newfound faith. Go back to leading a nice, quiet life. Being a fisherman's not so bad, I'm sure. Certainly can be a tempting response in the face of challenge, can't it? Yet, we read in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had to say to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there for one second. Peter and John return to their brothers and sisters in the faith and they tell them everything that's happened. In response, the church turns as one to focus on their father. Not to the problem, not outward to the potential of persecution, but upward to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, creator of all things, you who have spoken, hear us now. They have just heard that times of trial will come and have come, and so they lean upon the Father. They don't launch into a debate about what the next step should be. They don't start crafting their master plan. They call out to God. And in doing so, they gain focus. Proper, faithful perspective. After all, look at the way they speak of God. They call him sovereign Lord, meaning the one who is in control of all things. They speak of him as creator of heaven and earth and of all the things in the earth. And since he is the creator, he is more powerful than the creation. He is the one with power and authority. He is the sovereign Lord. And as the sovereign Lord, who in his power has created the world, he has also spoken. He spoke by the Holy Spirit through David. And what is it that he speaks? Well... In our passage, they quote the words of Psalm 2. Why do the the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers 
were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The sovereign Lord has spoken and he speaks of the truth that kings and rulers have set themselves in opposition to him. But doing so is ultimately a futile task. We learn in verses 27 and 28 that even those who oppose the Lord simply end up bringing about his ultimate ends. They look here to Herod and Pilate. Herod and Pilate who simply did whatever his hand and his plan had predestined to take place. Their crucifixion of Jesus was not the victory over the Son of God that they thought it was, but rather the culmination of the plan put in place by our Father since the foundation of the world. You cannot overcome the Lord. No one can. Not even the most powerful this world has to offer. Not even those that have the greatest military might or political sway or money. No one can overcome the Lord. In the face of persecution and challenges, the church comes together and they turn their gaze to the Father to get that perspective. To remember who it is that they serve. The one who alone is in control of all of history. Who is powerful and whose will shall be done. Those are the truths that empower the church to respond faithfully to whatever it is the church faces. It is what we are to be reminded of as we gather together today for worship for Bible studies, for prayer, for all that we do as a church, as we come together as the people of God. And we do it in part so that our response to the course of events in our life as a church and individual as, individually as Christians are faithful responses in line with the will of our Father. After all, what could this church fear, this church in Acts? Even in this moment, what could they have to fear when the moment that seemed like the greatest victory their opponents ever had, the crucifixion of Jesus, was actually all in the Father's hand? Friends, if we here today are Christians, if we believe in Jesus here today, we worship the same God. The same sovereign Lord. And so our response to whatever comes our way is to see it as being in the hands of the Father as well. He is Lord over all. He is stronger than anything we face. And he acts for the betterment of his people. I wonder how many of us gathered this morning need to be reminded of that. How many of us look at these past few years and then look to the years to come and are worried about what comes next? How many of us look at the state of our country and see nothing but division? 
How many of us look at what's happening in Eastern Europe and wonder if things are about to get a whole lot worse? It's a journalist that uh, I really appreciate. The morning after the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, his phone got an amber alert. Some of you might have gotten that same alert. I know I did. I think it was at 6 in the morning. It was very loud. He tweeted out later in the day that when the alert went off on his phone, the first thing he thought was, have we been nuked? Has the worst happened? He's gripped by fear and constant anxiety about the direction of the world. I wonder if there are those among us who might feel the same. Or maybe it's far more personal than all of that. Maybe it seems like your life is out of control. You're not sure what to do with work or your marriage or your finances or whatever it might be. Maybe you feel helpless. So overwhelmed by the possibilities of life that you are frozen in place, unable to make a decision. Where are your eyes fixed? Perhaps it is in days like these that it is more important for us to come together and pray, Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, move for your people. No one is saying that the church is to be blind about what is happening in our time and place, and certainly no one is saying that we should just huddle together and ignore the outside world. That would not be a faithful response. But where are our eyes fixed? Who is it that we are looking toward? We cannot begin to help. We cannot begin to move forward. We cannot begin to deal with the challenges that our church or this world face until we, the church of Jesus Christ, are focused upon our sovereign Lord. The one who makes all of the difference. In times of decision, in times of trial, the church comes together to focus on our Father together. Something else we want to see here. That as we, the church, come together and we refocus on the Lord, we end up responding in a way that is faithful and fruitful. Let me ask you, When you feel threatened, when something challenges you, when someone challenges you, how do you respond? I'll speak for myself here. I'm sure it's rather obvious for those of you who know me. My response is always simply, Lord, would you bless that person? I don't know what they've been through. I'm sure they're having a hard day. I've had hard days. So, Lord, you know what? Help me to help that person. Sounds like me, right? (laughs) I'm not making eye contact with my wife. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Of course that's not how we respond. Instinctually, 
We get our backs up. We get defensive. We dig in. And then we either run or we decide to go right at them, right? If we were to pray in a situation like that, it would probably sound something like, Lord, go get them. And so because we like to take how we would respond and project it onto other people, we might think that Peter and John would respond in the same way, right? They've just been threatened by the Sanhedrin, so their response should be, get them. That's not what happens, is it? You have the text there, you can see for yourself. That's not how they respond at all. Bishop N.T. Wright summarizes their prayer like this, Not, Lord, please cause them to die horribly. Or please stop them being so unpleasant. Not, Lord, let this persecution stop. Or even, please convert the authorities so that your work can go forward. The opposition are there and God knows about them. We are here and we need to be faithful to continue to speak of Jesus boldly and confidently. That is a wonderful summary of this entire section. The church in this moment doesn't focus at all on the threat or those who threaten them. They allow what they know of the Lord to shape a faithful response in them. They ask the Lord to look upon the threats, certainly, but then to grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. A prayer like that comes from a church that is focused upon Christ. Their primary concern ceases to be dealing with opposition. Their primary concern is all about seeing the work of Christ done in this world. We can never change how people might respond to us. We know that. We can't change the truth that we will face hard days. And in our flesh, we want to respond to the challenge. But by focusing on Jesus, he allows us to actually address the problem in a faithful way. For this church in Acts, that meant continuing with the mission that the Lord had given them to boldly proclaim Jesus to the world. Imagine that, being told that you needed to be silenced or you're going to jail, and they pray for boldness to keep speaking. That is a faithful response shaped only by Christ. And they keep going. (laughs) They ask the Lord to work acts of mercy, to heal, to perform the miraculous, all so that Jesus would be known. Their mission never changed. No matter what they faced, their point, the reason they existed, it, it stayed the same. It never changed. It's all about Jesus. No matter what is happening in our church and in our lives, is that the perspective we have? Are we focused upon Christ? No matter what we see going on around us in the world or in in Ottawa or in Ukraine or wherever else, 
And are we looking for our response to come out of us and our flesh or to be shaped by Jesus? For him to show us how we respond to that sort of thing. To teach us what it is to be faithful. Do we long to see his work done by his hand in this place? Because if our focus is on anything but him, if our solution is anything but him, our response will not be faithful, nor will it be fruitful. Who are we looking towards? Are you focused on Jesus? Do you want to be? Because here's how it happens. Not groundbreaking. I don't got the next great thing for you here. It's really simple. By coming together in prayer and in his word. Peter and John rushed back to their church family. They faced challenge and they ran back to the church. There is comfort there, my friends. They knew something big was coming. They've just lived through something big. They knew times were going to get hard. And so they rallied together. And so let me tell you, friends, when you are having those times of loneliness, those times of doubt and struggle, this is the place you need to be. If you've lost clarity on life, if your focus is on anything but Jesus, if you have no idea what it means to follow Jesus, but you want to, this is the place you need to be. We need to be together to grab the arm of a friend and ask for their help, to sit with our brothers and sisters in the faith and say, you know what, I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? This is where you need to be because this place is family. Under the Lord's fatherhood, we are a family and a family comfort and supports and walks with one another. Even if you are not sure what it is you believe, even if you have a million questions about this whole Christianity thing, This is the place you need to be. Come and ask your questions. Come and seek the Lord with us. Come and find him. For it is as we come together in prayer and in searching his word that we gain the life-changing perspective that only Jesus can give. And that creates a faith that is confident, that is bold, not arrogant, not loud for the sake of being loud. It is not performative, but genuine. It is assured. It is peaceful. It is built upon a solid foundation. The prayer of this church that we read about in Acts 4, it is a fantastic example of confident, bold prayer because it is the prayer of a people who have searched the word together and have been formed by it. And let's be honest, we pray sometimes and we're not all that confident about it, are we? We think we're just talking to the air, right? That's not the case here. Because they pray out of who they know the Lord to be. They pray out of what the Lord has revealed about himself in Scripture. 
They're not afraid. They can ask for boldness because they know that, as we said earlier, opposing God is a futile thing to do. Psalm 2 told them so. That's not something they just came up with one day. They didn't just pull it out of thin air. They heard it. They read about it by the work of the Spirit. They see it. They're shaped by it. And now they pray it in confidence. They ask to be filled with boldness, to take what they know about the Lord and proclaim it. That's not a perspective that was just created on the fly one day. It wasn't magic that poof, suddenly they got it. It was formed by spending time with God, speaking to Him in prayer, hearing from Him in His Word. That is how the church looks at challenge and persecution and prays for boldness to continue. If we are to faithfully follow Jesus, then coming together for prayer and being formed by God's Word should be as natural to us as breathing. To not do it is to cut us off from the food that our souls need, not just to survive, but to thrive. And so perhaps the least surprising or least shocking thing in our passage is probably the thing we would point to as the most shocking. The Lord answers this prayer in power. The Holy Spirit comes upon them so powerfully that the whole house shakes. They are refreshed by God. He comes upon them in great power and he empowers them to do the very thing that is at the heart of God, to proclaim that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. They prayed to be faithful and the work of the Lord continued through them in power and boldness. You do not need me to tell you that days of challenge, testing, and decision come. We have all seen them. And more will come. And we can sometimes look at the state of the world and our lives and feel powerless. But as we have prayer and as we have the Lord, we are anything but powerless because He is powerful. And so before those days and after those days, the response of the church is the same. The church that comes together to pray together and be formed together will remain together and grow together as we even now boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ has come. He is creator, Lord, and Savior. And he is with us as we faithfully proclaim him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.